like even down to breathing. I think a lot of people breathe in a way that doesn't serve them, and it's just what you pick up from the people around you. Think about breathing. <laughs> Everybody that's listening now, just take a moment to breathe. But at the same time, I have read about that that reach out that you do as you're falling asleep mm. is like a genetic inheritance from sleeping in trees. Yeah, and so then. Is there even... Um, well, and is there stuff hardwired into us? I mean, where does it yes. come from? Is there a genetic material that is inside us that comes through our own... Yeah, like I mean, actually... And, and still a, a organism at some point in history had to yeah. learn that yeah. for its re- environment, but it got wired into the genetics. I mean, if you become parent, you'll notice that there's a point, and maybe it's a kind of relaxing thought also, is that... Um, I think you're, there's certain things about your child. They just that's just them. You feel like you're you're trying doing your best, and it, the reason it's relaxing is because you're so scared you're going to screw it all up. <laughs> and actually, to realise uh-huh. that, and I know people, especially have had multiple children. It's uh-huh. just like they'll do exactly the same thing, and the kids just totally different. Yeah. And it's like you do feel. I do feel like Sam had a certain Samness about him when he was when he came into the world. Mm. That it's not all come from us. Um, it's not all come from what we've done with him. Mm. We, the good things we can't boast about, the bad things we can't um, kind of like be blamed well, for. Like, so yeah. there's, uh, and so there's a question then that goes, yeah, and it's yeah. a big philosophical question Massive. that you can put to life. Are we, what are we made up of? Are yeah. we only what we yeah. learn in this lifetime? Yeah. How much of our history and this question of, um, yeah, like, Kate's very busy with this, the idea of the histories that are in your body, which are learnt, but also then the histories that are in your DNA that mm-hmm. maybe come through your ancestry or through, mm-hmm. like, what are those things? And actually, how do they inform you and inform the way you move and the way you do everything? And that's somehow reductive in discussion, but can be generative when making yeah. movement and when making yeah. an experience, which is that solo that I did at the farm. Yeah start of this year for yeah. Bare Bones was this thing is going to can only be argumentative if I bring it up in words mm. but if I dance in front of you and you're on board with dancing for pleasure yeah. then everything that I do is through that frame and then you can ha- go away and have your own problem with it later yeah yeah which is yeah and then you but then what I'm what I'm like hiding behind mm. is that everything that comes out has gone in yeah and that means that because I'm living in the world, there should be nothing that's off limits to coming out of my body mm. because it's gone into my body. Mm. And then to say that some things are off limits is to um, cut me off from my own cultural upbringing, mm. even though they, those influences belong to. What if something comes out that's kind of racist or? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. I mean, you uh, you talk you like which get is, onto which is well, not freedom even of speech just, almost and questions yeah, in of, the body yeah yeah which are obviously yeah in the body I know you're working in the I mean it's an interesting thing and watching yeah. it's an interesting challenge when you're uh, when we watched you and it's a great kind of prov- provocation in that yeah. way because yeah. you get taken physically by watching you and the joy and the. Uh, especially, you know, we stood up, we're with you. you yeah, know, the yeah. second time when we I stood up, we're with you and we're totally, we're invested in what you're doing and we don't then, you don't judge it. And this is, yeah. the Germans have a real thing with this because it's like, oh, it's so entertaining, is it propaganda? <laughs> you know? Like this is a question because yeah, they yeah, have yeah, a yeah, real history, question about propaganda and their history. But then is, that's the best kind, isn't it? Stuff that's so entertaining that you have to question yeah, how but, it's taking and you then over. how you're conflicted in yourself when you're watching and that's exactly yeah. how you should feel you should yeah. think that you know and then you should feel something else that brings mm. out more empathy I think it's really interesting you put the body and the emotion maybe against the mind in that moment yeah we did uh, we when we did food chain there's this <laughs> I mean watching back on video especially but it's really like this moment when we were the bears and we we clearly very intentionally we we came with the proposition of uh, these bears treating humans the way that humans treat uh, animals uh-huh. in documentaries. So that kind of we started doing 
you know, so all the things that we do to attract animals and we hunt them, we use scent. Yeah. What scent, what is the scent, you know, that you're using to attract those animals? Yeah. Um, so clearly we went from this very funny kind of thing that the bears were really funny, people found them funny, you know, and then it just starts to go completely wrong. It gets very sexual, it gets very, it just, there's a point where you go past a lion that, and to actually feel the audience and how they get confused by that lion because they're laughing, they're finding it funny, they're taken by the humor of the bears and then there's a point where you can feel the laughs in the room drying up and there's always a few that are staying and then they're realizing ah oh, shit i'm not meant to be laughing at this anymore this is wrong and mm. it goes weirdly silent but there's this great barrier when you push beyond kind of you take them with you and you're mm. carrying them with you and then you take them somewhere they don't aren't comfortable to actually be in suddenly and then they're they've yeah, they feel conflicted and also implicated by where they've ended up. Implicated is the most important thing, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. if it's, if it's, if they are not responsible for this journey that they've gone on with you, then hmm. they can leave you behind yeah. when they leave. And they can blame you for taking them there, and they probably do, but they're also like, they are implicated in going there because they went there themselves, yeah. you know, we just kind of offered them the kind of outlet to go there yeah. um so it was a yeah always a really interesting kind of like place to take people and kind of to see where they would end up but yeah i remember this question so much in germany like the first time we toured lawn someone's saying oh, i really like the show but i have to say i found it entertaining and this <laughs> and they were kind of we thought that was a compliment at first <laughs> and then we realized it wasn't a compliment it was and people were really conflicted by the fact that they were they enjoyed the work so they thought it must be shallow and then they realized it's not though it's it's much more and yeah. but actually and it's that and partially i think it is a historical thing that they question the idea of propaganda much more than we're the opposite mm. in this country we we want to be entertained like um we and that's the driving factor for a lot of things oh it was it's not always and it depends on where you are too. is there a is there some way to know whether the thing that you're making because you can know whether it's coming from a depth and integrity mm. but is there a way to support that it will also be entertaining um i think i mean I feel always like we were just lucky, yourself. you know, because I think the things that we're like, the things that I'm attracted to, the things that uh, the people I've been working with are attracted to have been kind of fairly accessible to people. They take yeah. people along, they're enjoyable. Um, but it's because I like them that I go with them. If yeah. I'd be kind of like, if I was doing them because I thought it would sell it you yeah. know then actually i wouldn't be happy that i would make that yeah. choice if i was totally attracted to um doing something that was not at all enjoyable to watch i hope that i would pursue it still you know even so i do feel kind of a little bit lucky in a way that um i really like these things that yeah, are enjoyable right but are deep at the same time have some depth to yeah, them yeah. and that those two things and actually it's become i guess a little thing that i'm a bit interested in um, in making work is like how do they work together mm. and how do they kind of rather than robbing from each other um, how do they actually both take you further there was this interesting thing um, I saw Ishmael Ivo in Berlin you, uh, no sorry not Ishmael Ivo uh, Ivo Dimchev sorry yes Ivo in Berlin and I'd seen him in Impulse Tance as well he does amazing solos like it's just I like what one. happens to the guy when you watch him he yeah. turns into a it's like watching a demon that just yeah. gets bigger and he comes towards you but he doesn't move it's no. like a freaky yeah. experience um but and afterwards i was always like yeah. either this guy is going to be super sweet and warm oh, or he's yeah. going to be a bit of an asshole and we we went to an after show talk and unfortunately oh, yeah. he seemed to be a bit more the latter but um he was just or it was his persona but you know, whatever, he was really confrontative and shutting people down all the time and whatever they'd ask. Mm. And then at one point he just got stuck into all the audience who clearly really loved the show. Um, it was a Berlin crowd too. It's not like, um, I don't know, like 
He, he was, I but he that. basically, he criticized everyone for laughing and said, you laugh, it's the easy way to watch something is to laugh, you know, and just kind of put the audience down for laughing at the work. Whereas it was clear to me, he plays with humor yeah, totally. He knows he's borderline silly at the same time as it's fucking freaky and you are getting really disturbed by it. But yeah. at the same time, you're laughing, but you're, and I, I really, I didn't, because I thought he'd just have a go at me, I didn't say, but I really wish I had just said to him, do you think that people are so simple that they can't find something funny and have other reactions at the same yeah. time? We're really complex. We, you laugh at something and you're on the inside, you're screaming in disgust at the same moment. It's like we don't just have one thing going on. It's only maybe what you present to the world. And if someone doesn't laugh, does that mean that they are more of a thinker? Mm. Like, actually, I find it um, a very narrow view of humanity. Mm. Um, and it was really clear. I think he was just having a go because he wanted to have a go because it's very, it was very clear to me when I watch his shows that he knows exactly what he's doing with humour. Um, and he uses it really well. So, yeah. And I do, I find that line of that knife edge between those states really fascinating. Um, and the way you shift. And it's often, I think, in the shift, it's like you have these places that you're landing or whatever, and often it's the shift between them where there's this sudden opening, like of a, a massive opening into meaning, or yeah. um, it's like the universe is in those cracks somehow. <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to put my voice in too soon after it. I wanted, I wanted other people listening to be, uh, oh, to pull man, over. <laughs> I need to look at a crack. <laughs> No, but it's absolutely Hmm. what I aspire to do. And I think it's because, and Kate made me think about this when she's talking about the tuning in practice with Ben, is that what movement and and dancing and sound and music, where they meet is at vibration. Yeah. at, At their base level is vibration. And at the base level of the human experience somehow is also vibration but this vibration driven by the breath and if you can affect people's breathing yeah if you can make them exhale quickly and rapidly yeah. in a joyous response and then make them draw the breath quickly at the same time yeah. then you've affected the body chemistry and then that cements deeper memories and empathies and it becomes um it becomes an experience beyond pedestrian. Yeah. Do you affect it when you have you you've started working on this with breath? It reminds I, me of um, I know that Meg also she um, Meg Stewart she works with um, she works with breath when she they work with states oh yeah. and they reduce it to a kind of physical. So you're working with emotional states, whatever in this room. Yeah. You're playing. You're changing, change, change, change. She has all those kind of. Yeah. Um, uh, exercises in changing states and also but reducing it to a point and I think the breath is one of the that you observe when you're in that state what your breath is doing and that that's the thing that you repeat yeah that's the thing that kind of takes you back into that state so you're not then having to go oh yeah it was a fearful thing that I was doing it's not about the emotion it's something more energetic and um, vibrational that's happening and she anchors it with the breath as a way to I guess remember that state and what it is well, the thing for me is I want to protect my self as the performer or whoever happens to be performing on my behalf. Mm. And I don't want them to have to go through turmoil yeah. so that the audience can feel turmoil. Yeah. Because yeah. I believe that if they breathe at this pace and they have their muscles tensioned at this amount yeah. in this sequence with this lights and this music, then that's the one, two, three, and the starter motor turns and the car goes. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. Because then the, the performer has to do that every night. Yeah. And actually there's always that question just because you're going through something on stage, the audience don't necessarily. In fact, often it's the opposite. The yeah. fact that they may find it funny, 
because you know you may be in the most cathartic moment of your life and the audience may just find yeah. it funny which is fine because then at least it's still impactful to them yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> in some totally. way yes but, but yeah. yeah certainly the idea i always we always called it teacupping we got into this thing teacupping which okay. i kind of became well, a really i felt like it was not teabagging <laughs> teacupping um which kate and alice always think was because they had a teacup in their, the first show that they made and they thought I was talking about them but I, I wasn't it was actually that idea that you used to, I don't know, you still see it so much but when you see in contemporary dance when you can tell that they, they have something on stage and it mm. must mean a lot to them because mm. the way they're treating it with this um, kind of this reverence and mm. this sense that it's full of meaning but actually from outside you're going it doesn't Mm. You're, you are attaching all of that information to that object. It doesn't, it's not carrying to us. We don't know why you're treating it so seriously. It's a teacup, mm. as far as we can see. But for them, they've talked a lot about what that means. A teacup represents, mm. you know, my grandma. And when she was, I don't know, you know, they've got a whole story and you can see it, but it's actually, it's not conveying because yeah. it's, again, that idea, I guess, of assumptions that you've made. And so we'd always be uh, always a bit of a note, like, oh, no, you're teacupping there. <laughs> Not that you're teabagging. Tea <laughs> you're really choking the scene right now. <laughs> Which was assuming that, I, yeah, it was that assumption that because you feel something, the audience is going to share your yeah, feeling. and that's not the craft. No. Somehow. No. I mean, we just had the, it was interesting because we just did Good Little Soldier in Perth with Mark and Oka. Yeah, right. um, and... It's a, it's a full-on thing to do. Like the story is about PTSD, returned soldier, and how it infects the family. Mark himself, it's his story pretty much, Mark Howard. It, like he, his father was a returned soldier with PTSD, was violent um, to the family. Mark ended up getting his mother out of there and they went through hell. And Mark carries, you know, like that PTSD infects, it's like a virus, it goes mm. through the family and you have to, everybody has to deal with it. And Mark was the one who managed to make the break, you know, but still he carries, he's had, he's had that demon with him for his whole life and he's had to deal with it. And making that peace helped kind of get rid of it to a certain degree. So you're working with something very real. So, I mean, for me, I don't know much about PTSD at all. And I was playing his father and stuff, but there was certainly, I mean, I guess one way that, and it's that vibrational kind of thing where you, you uh, kind of, it's not just about your own cathartic experience, it's about creating a kind of mood in the room that's trigger, that has a trigger in it. And actually, mm -hmm. often, weirdly, it was when Mark would get a trigger and he wanted to go there, he wanted to say these things. So when we were first making it, Mark was often having to leave and he'd just start bawling or he'd have these full-on reactions to and we knew in that moment if, if that happened that basically we're on the money you know like and it's a weird thing to go through you know, like you're he, torturing him a little bit yeah. except actually it was something that was helping him and he was getting the demon off his back yeah, through yeah, that yeah, process yeah, so yeah. and actually everyone who came there were a lot of people who came and they would have triggers when they were watching or they would really react and they're devastated afterwards. It's a really intense show. But all of them, and every time I'd come out and I'd feel really kind of guilty for having put them through this experience, but they'd always be thanking you for it. And they, because I think even the, and a lot of people have a lot of trauma in their lives. I never also realized how many people have a lot of trauma in their lives, except through this to see it. Um, You're not carrying trauma? Uh, not on that level, not in no. that way, no, no. I mean, this is, you know, about abuse, physical, yeah. sexual, whatever kind of abuse that people have had, a kind of a PTSD that can come from whatever their circumstances are, mm. whether it's come through their family, which was a lot of obviously what people were getting triggered by, or we had vets that were coming to the show as well. Mm. Um, but they all universally seem to think that it was worthwhile because I was always afterwards asking you know they were thanking me but they're devastated some of them can hardly talk and you're going you know I'd be often saying oh, I feel a bit guilty you know is it okay that we're doing this to you mm. and they were like no it's really important and mm. it is worthwhile and it's so and I, I mean I never heard from someone who was like you shouldn't put that on stage you just like it's too rough on people there or that people weren't 
<coughs> we had a couple of people who I guess left who would walk out of it. Um, mm. So maybe that was a very clear comment that they didn't want to go there. Mm. Um, but in general, they were carried along by, and it's also because it's a really dark work. It's really, but it also has a rhythm that carries you along. It has, I wouldn't say that it's an entertaining, well, no, I would actually say it is probably an entertaining piece, yeah. but not entertaining in a like, oh, laugh a minute kind of funny, entertaining piece. It's engaging, it's constantly shifting, it's clever, it's you know, got all these things that hook you and take you along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The material is dark, and the place it takes you to is a, uh, dark place but mm. it doesn't something mean about that recreating making a making a fake version of a real trauma mm. releases uh, it somehow mm, it like it shines light on the the elements mm. that make that make up what has been that traumatic experience because you would have had to embody um, a mood and a pose and a breath mm. yeah, and totally. an intensity and for someone to see you take that on it makes me think about um, when was it Andrew Monk that you were saying about before? Daniel Daniel yeah and he was a performer for Kate Champion Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Force, Force Majeure. Force yeah. Majeure. Was it Age I'm In? Yeah. I, um, I'm not sure. I, think, I, I know he worked with them. Yeah. And then he was busy for one of the tours. Yeah. But he uh, has cerebral true. palsy. Yeah. Uh, no, he doesn't. He has a par- par- paralysis, paralysis down one side of his body. I, even think I don't think it guy. was Daniel, actually, that was. I know the story you're talking yeah, about yeah. now. But Josh yeah. Moo basically had to come in and understudy mm. the, the choreography of a man with cerebral palsy who yeah. had done the show. Yeah. And the decision needed to be made whether at the bow, at the clapping at the end of the show, yeah. he maintained that yeah. Yeah. Um, performance yeah, well, or let it drop and yeah. thereby unraveling to the audience that it was... Yeah, and how does the audience then perform- respond yes. and to that? Do feel- they feel suddenly like, what the fuck? even though obviously that role was made in a certain way it was, and there was, it would have been a lot of decision making it wasn't like they were just like let's get someone to play someone with cerebral palsy no it was made on him yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a that's a massive question there yeah and I also feel that there's something there's I mean that's the power of comedians as well mm. to point and laugh at shit that everybody else has, like doesn't talk about yeah is to say that that exists. I mean... Well, and then actually how that shifts to what is that thing that they point to. Yeah. I mean, the homogeneity discussion we were having before uh, as a comedian called Russell Peters, who's genetically Indian, but his parents migrated to Canada, so he's grown up Canadian. Yeah. Thinking, like, feeling in his identity as Indian until he visited India. Yeah. And then (laughs) was like, no, I'm Canadian. Yeah. Um, But he talks about the world soon enough becoming beige everybody will be the skin color that he is yeah which is a general beige because people are traveling and people are fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah it may take some time yeah but yeah we'll race but like, eventually get yeah actually and demolished what a and we'll shame and what a liberation <laughs> yeah yeah at the same like yeah. both at the same time mm-hmm. until another ice age when we get separated and we have to become and we all change colour again, adapted, depending on where exactly we got stuck. Exactly to where we got stuck, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's not so far away. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I have this thing with comedians too. It was uh, some history of comedy I saw, but they were talking a lot about um, how, what they can, you know, the, the comedian is there obviously to go into what territory that is supposedly cordoned mm. off you mm-hmm. know you mm-hmm. shouldn't tread on yeah. and that's what where humor is is when they step over that line a lot of it you know and that's obviously their function but it's shifting all the time mm. and so they have to adapt to the shift so what and actually it's not always just a shift towards you can go further you might think that actually no. it's probably yeah. gone there's certain areas where it goes backwards well, as I wonder well. this and about wonders. American versus British comedy mm. and if British comedy is more appealing to me because yeah. of its nuance because of its double entendre because of its lack of free speech yeah. because of its need to hide and keep face yeah. 
that yes. there's so many more colloquialisms yeah. that you need to be in the know. And then when you see someone string them all together, yeah. it activates. Uh, it's, not, it's not somehow delivered to you. You still have to work for it. Yeah. And, but that's the same with when you are outraged by something that somebody has said, but you've been in love with them until that point. Hmm. And then you that's have to find line to tread. I remember John Cleese talking about it when they did. Um, yeah. Uh, what did they do? Oh, they were doing Fish Called Wanda. And he said it was a really fine line of they were squashed, killing all the dogs. Remember, they kept killing the dogs, um, the pets. And one of them was like he tried to drop. Well, he's trying to kill this guy or this woman. I can't remember. And they kept missing and getting the dogs, I think. But there was one where they dropped a, like a fridge and it landed on the dogs. And like they wanted to do where suddenly where the fridge and you saw the squashed dog or something, but they realized that was a step too far that people stop, would stop laughing yeah, right. with this when they saw the squashed dog. But um, there was, and actually you look at Louis CK and you know, it's really interesting like yeah. how he treads that territory like and how he takes yeah. it. And he's very smart, like he's a, a very smart comedian, but he goes, yeah, what angles he takes that push you beyond, yeah. actually. But he somehow, once he gets you laughing, oh man, he's he got goes away. further until you don't agree with him, but you're still laughing. Yeah. And that moment, I'm playing with this idea for about a year that you can never actually understand until you surrender into agreeing for at least a moment yeah you can say i understand but i disagree but what you're saying is i have rationalized your point of view as separate from mine mm -hmm. but perhaps actual understanding is a moment if if not longer mm. of agreeing because if you truly understood the way that that person understands you would yeah. you would think what they think put yourself in their shoes and maybe that's what the laughter is because laughter is so often seen as a con condoning yeah and but not necessarily. You can find it funny, but not exactly. Condone. Yes, but yeah. that's like a practice run yeah. for how to deal with these things that compete in your mind that you think are a binary. Yeah, you think are mutually exclusive. The question is why. <laughs> I knew you were going to get to that question. Like, why bother? Why with, bother with, with all the effort that it takes to get people to the knife's edge? where the cracks of the universe show <laughs> and expand. Mm. We all have to have something to do, I guess. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Are you worried that if you, like, if you made too much money, you'd form a drug addiction or something? <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'm worried that I'd leave my son too much. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, actually, why, yeah... I can't imagine ever doing anything else still. I mean, it's weird. Well, I've never had, I mean, you? it's been so long now that I've had any other kind of job. Mm. But, but you do, but like it's quite varied what you do. Yeah. What do you, what do, you do when people ask you what you do? Um, I make theatre. Great. I uh, yeah. tend to say that. Yeah, right. Um, the taxi driver kind of question, I make theatre. If they're clearly interested, I'll go on to that it's physical yeah. and then I'll get to the point that I'm a, that I'm a dancer, that it's dance. Like, that because actually dance can shut down conversation. Yeah. Very, with the ta if you're talking yeah. about the taxi, but it driver. can also make you feel misrepresented. Yeah, it's an interesting. You know what they're exposed to. Yeah. And you know that that's not what you do. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you try and frame it so kind yeah. of to a certain extent. So I want them to understand actually. Of course. And I think possibly that desire to for to want to communicate is actually the why, mm. and that's kind of it. It's the bridge for why to put a show on stage but it's also the main thing again is back in the room is like also that that the way we work the way we are together that's something that goes beyond and I th actually it's a really special thing and we're in such a luxurious position that we get to do that and um, have that interaction I think back to bare bones you know and why just look well. at bare bones yeah. Jesus that was um at three days it still resonates with yeah. me it's like we're such a i just hope we can kind of pull something off that's half as good again because mm -hmm. it was such a special thing and it answers all those kind of questions of why bother when you get that feeling of um communication and openness and understanding and conflict and uh disagreement and 
challenge and all of those things that happened through those three days of which are basic human interaction and existence somehow and they're all wrapped up in there and you're confronted you're not just hiding from them you're you're in there dealing with them all and I yeah and that makes a lot of sense to me because I think that's the lesson for life too that of this way of just not shying away and dealing with it and actually finding calmness and well finding where you are inside all that chaos Hmm. because I know that I mean I can avoid like as a person Mm. you know I think we all can I guess you know I can have times yeah and actually but there's no there's no joy in avoiding no it takes as much energy yeah. yeah yeah so to confront to actually be there be in the room (laughs) no I kind of I mean more and more I'm like it's what I'm interested selling yeah yeah great I love the fact that we get to tour you know I'm glad that Cockfight's gone to UK I'm really happy to go to Chile and you know it's cool I love doing that stuff and that's really important because actually you get to communicate with different people I guess yeah Um, but in the end it's like yeah if there has to be and the fact that something goes really well you know something uh, is successful that's all great stuff and whatever Mm. but in the end it's somehow it's still this key of how we are together and how we work together and therefore that the work we all make together it has some joy in the making of it and actually also not just joy though that there's a desire because actually I want to work hard I'm not you know like actually it's I find it really interesting and I'm often I'm amazed by when you work with people and they just kind of seem a bit like they're just doing it they're just kind of in there the enthusiasm is not there Mm -hmm. then I don't understand that I think that energy and enthusiasm for what you do otherwise yeah what's the point and I know that that's something I'm constantly you know having to relearn is to find enthusiasm and people don't understand enthusiasm sometimes they don't understand that it's where it comes from or how it motivates you or that it's not just you're not just playing you're not just um being a dickhead you're (laughs) actually your enthusiasm is energy and it's the energy to create and it's the energy to play and it's the energy to discover um and all of that is like is the most important thing and where we all get to that place where suddenly you know things happen the cracks of the (laughs) of the universe open up (laughs) (laughs) yeah how do you do how because you like you see it it's on a linear trajectory whereby there's an explore period of life Mm. and then once you have explored you've learnt skills Mm. and then you exploit those skills so Mm. that you can get what you want and they they are is that it? that's the binary that's Uh the arc of like but actually they say I mean they also have this thing where uh, you know life speeds up you know as you get older that's what everyone says you know that just seems to flash past faster Um, but I've also like one rationale for why that happens is that when you're young when you're a child especially every experience is a new experience to you every you thing you see is new so you're totally experiencing it in that moment time seems to stretch out and yeah. be endless the older you get the more assumptions you have the more you're stuck in your ways the more your routine starts to confine you and be Uh the same and become invisible to yourself so you start doing the same things and so you take it for granted and time seems to flash past because you're no longer actually involved in experiencing it anymore Mm. so it's an assumption that to a certain extent that you're no longer exploring and i think it's something that we we do to ourselves that Mm. as we get older we decide that we need to lock down and know what we're doing and but actually, then this is uh, like there's a self-discipline or an accidental desire, mm-hmm. <coughs> serendipitous desire that one has to not do the things that they know works. Yeah. And then reap the reward of that. Yeah. Because but actually sometimes you do that and it doesn't... And it doesn't work. <laughs> not totally. Because you've made the assumption and then yeah, they're right. the ones that don't work. Yeah, yeah. Actually... Yeah. 
feels like the ones that do are when you totally challenge yourself again yeah, yeah, and yeah. put yourself on that ledge of not understanding and not knowing. There was always a uh, Robert Lepage quote that I really liked early on when he was, um, oh, he said something about <laughs> when, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but when, when I, basically when I know what I'm doing, yeah. it's time for me to stop, yeah. is the thing. And I kind of, yeah, that idea of still being a student and mm, stay mm, a student mm, mm, and fiercely decide that you are the one that's learning. Yeah. And that's actually in, like with this teaching thing we're talking about too, is like, I, it's really exciting for me yeah. to go back to learning everything again and actually yeah. um, not being able to rely on the stuff that I used to rely on. Actually, I think it's, it's a good thing. So even though it sounds really mournful and pathetic, um, actually I mean it as a positive. Yeah. For me to walk in to, basically I just need to have um, something that I don't understand, that I want to understand. Mm. And then that is, yeah, that drives the thing. And that drove, I like my cultural dance from YouTube and that drove that solo that I did and that lo- drove the blokes project and that drove yeah. even this duo that I made called Dancing With, which all it was, was a uh, vocabulary of movement that I had not seen existed, but I thought that I knew. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get in there and you realize you don't know it. You have yep. to generate it, but you know what to generate because you point yourself in the right direction. And so the question is, what is this thing? And it's really easy to convince yourself that you know the thing until you have to do it. Yeah, it's like I understand conceptually how to weld, but. I'm still going to blow a hole in the aluminium when I try and weld in two weeks without practice because there's different levels of understanding and embodiment. But I... So what I mean is... So you're driven by curiosity. Yeah, but that's not always going to be the case because sometimes once I've done the process, if the process is done Mm. and I've answered my own question, do I need to then do the show? Mm. Yeah. Not necessarily, unless... Except maybe for the audience, you're asking the exactly, same question exactly. and they get to experience yes. that themselves. Yeah, and, and then, then that's a very good go reason. Further. It's yeah. the perfect reason. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder about how to generate an intelligent enthusiasm that mm. is informed by experience and wisdom. Yeah, because enthusiasm can seem naive. Yes. Yeah. And it, it has to rely on... Um, an egolessness hmm. that goes hand in hand with naivety. Yeah. But it cannot be naive if it is to be at a professional level and well, you're I think in charge is, of people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a funny laugh that came out. Um, <laughs> because uh, I remember having this discussion with Laurie because, you know, and it was me railing against being in Germany for a bit probably in this intellectual pursuit of art. Mm. And I kind of, I said it to probably provoke her a little bit, but I was like, I like working from a naive place and I need to. Mm. And actually there is, but there is an ounce of truth in that. And I I think it is, I guess, that thing that you can maintain more than one thing in yourself. The same thing as you can laugh and you can be disgusted by something at the same time. You can also fan the flames of naivety and enthusiasm and I don't think all enthusiasm is naive anyway Mm. but that kind of keeping that kind of freshness and impulsive discovery and so on which often feels like it's a naivety at the same time as there's a part of you that is also questioning and evaluating um, and bringing all of the knowledge and experience especially if I mean one way I find is that to do all the research and to read up on what you're interested in and look at all the different angles and then enter into like an improvisation for instance we didn't just go into those improvisations for cockfight without a lot of information we had talked we did mm. have these things that we brought to the room and mm. then what happened in the room we took away that voice of um, rationality and, and knowing and knowing yeah. yes and tried to enter into the unknowing and the yeah. instinctive um, because that other stuff doesn't go away. It's no. just, it's like shutting off the, the head as being the driver in a way. And that moment you, you put it in the back seat, but it's always there. Yeah, and there's something about ultimately your naivety needs to be backed up with a resilience mm. that doesn't come with a, a youthful naivety. Yeah. It comes with like a, a professional naivety. Yeah, yeah. 
And the more information that you have, and maybe the older you get, sometimes the naivety and the enthusiasm are the harder things to dig for. And actually, you've got to work harder. You've got to work harder and not get caught in that trap of knowing. Because the trap of knowing, I mean, how many men do you see? The trap of knowing. Not just men, but obviously, I identify more with men as they're older who start to, you know, take the, and they take the, we talked about this a lot with cockfight, you know, how you're, you're trying to, like, I don't know, tighten the nut on the car with the pair and there's they just kind of can't help take themselves over. to take over and that feeling of uh of certainty mm. i've never quite understood people's feelings of certainty because uh i don't trust certainty that much i kind of feel like if you're when someone very clearly states an opinion about time i i always question i always feel like oh no there's another side to that and i there's something about that kind of certainty that men in particular I think get as they get older that scares the shit out of me and I'm just like I'm often asking Kate am I like am I doing that and I am you know like for sure and you really you gotta fight it like hell Um, Um, how do you fight it though uh, just by being conscious that you're heading that that's the direction you're you're gonna head into Australian parliament by fighting (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. You need to totally. be certain. There's some jobs that it works for. <laughs> I think in my job, it works against you yeah, um, a lot of the time. That's why I kind of, I think it is, yeah. I think that certainty and deciding you know what you're doing and stuff is, is dangerous mm. in our job. Mm. So I kind of, I find it. Like, the alternative is to trust the team and the environment. Yeah. yeah. And question yourself and evaluate and take a breath and go you know like okay where am i in this how much is my ego driving me in this moment and how much is it um yeah and how much is it informing my decisions and actually are my decisions right you know it's like that when you go and see the show and you evaluate am i really watching this or am i watching this from my perception of like my own work you know it's exactly that same equation that you've and it's about self-evaluation which i think is highly valuable to be able to kind of yeah it is valuable to self-evaluate some people i mean i think different people do it more than others and you can self-evaluate yourself to death i think kate and i have a tendency to (laughs) maybe to destroy ourselves (laughs) with self-evaluation sometimes um but but i think there's a lack there's a lack of it yeah yeah it's the one thing that i it it's one of the many things that I hope that any work that I show to people mm. does to them is to reignite yep. a reevaluation of self because self is so often defined by uh, the opinions that you hold yep. or profess to hold. And there's this excellent article on um, a blog called Ribbon Farm and it speaks about the value of presenting as holding a certain opinion, even if you know that you don't because you still um, benefit from and see value of being identified as a part of that group of people, Hmm. Um, like your family, for example. Yeah. So you don't have to believe the opinion, but you have to, but you are somehow resolved in yourself to this double think where you understand that if you knock down the appearance that you believe this opinion, then you will alienate yourself from what is otherwise a very excellent part of your life. Mm. And so there's like, um, he, he basically draws this graph between actual belief systems. So he's and saying that it's very, he's saying it's very important to exist with being able to deny your opinions. It. With the ability to do so. I think what the discussion was, was that it can serve your health Mm. mental and social and physical to be able to know which opinions um are part of your belief system Mm. and which opinions are part of your cooperative belief Mm. system yeah so that you can be with people yeah and and now we're in that that thing where our we can live in our own opinions (laughs) in this world very easily like it's amazing to me i have the Guardian on my phone, like yeah. as a newspaper that occasionally, and I uh, denied. I and I just realised after reading it, it's just actually it's feeding my opinions back to me. But also now with 
the scariest thing, I guess, is where we go next is that um, it's learning, you know, all these algorithms that are out there that are learning what you like mm -hmm. and learning your opinions about things. And then that's what they're going to continue to reinforce yeah. and redirect. So, I mean, if I read The Guardian, um, I can kind of see and I'm getting a certain amount of information that's fulfilling my opinion of the world and it's reinforcing my opinion of the world. But there's someone also who's reading, uh, I don't know, the Daily Telegraph or whatever is the equivalent that's reinforcing their opinion of the world. Are either of us actually getting, um, what information are we getting? And mm. uh, can we, we both believe that the information we're getting is the right information. And actually the further we go down that track where we're, we're protected in this um, bubble of not, having to be challenged in our opinions like and it's very easy these days that that's in, that's where we are i have this now like we're talking about it because it's for schooling for your child you know we send sam to the burley head state school and we haven't started yet but that's the one of the options and uh grayson who brings milo um, from Berlin and he's in an international school where basically every parent is probably another artist living in East Berlin um, and you know they're all international and uh, you know uh, so they're of a certain ilk they probably share a lot of the same opinions and mm. also the school itself is very so there's a monoculture in that at the mm. same time but then when he come when they come to Australia they put Milo into the Burley Head School and I think sometimes they're really nervous and frightened. And Grayson has a big challenge in himself because in his philosophy, he believes in this idea that you shouldn't cocoon yourself in that kind of bubble, but it's his child. Yeah. And when it's Milo, the idea that Milo might get you know, pushed over in the playground by some little <laughs> redneck kid. I don't know. Like, and who, you know, like who's uh, a racist, homophobic, I don't know, little six-year-old. Yeah. Um, those things are really challenging. Those things yeah. are something when it, when you have a child. This is why parents are the most, the least free thinking in the world because they're suddenly not just they can't afford it anymore because they're so yeah. concerned yeah. with the responsibility of having to decide those things for someone else. I guess the hope is that Milo is also having an effect on yeah the people that see him there, mm. and that that's not equal yeah but that it is still adding some color to the situation yeah and also i guess that i mean that idea that uh i don't really i have yeah the idea that actually certain socioeconomic parameters decide your whether you're valuable to be around or not is it is a big philosophical question and it I may, think that and yeah, how much of your own assumptions because of someone dressing a certain way yeah, and looking a certain yeah, way yeah, you yeah. decide they're a certain type of person yeah but if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck <laughs> you know not like, necessarily no, no but this is the, this is the yeah, problem know, because quite often it, it's a duck yeah and yeah. sometimes it's not a duck yeah. it's a goose that's been raised with ducks yeah. or, but again I love being surprised so. <laughs> <laughs> I think the six year old homophobic is the same to me as a six-year-old overweight mm. kid, which is they are not yet, it is not yet them who has made themselves. Mm. Are they getting, yeah, for sure they're reflecting yeah. opinions from their families at but, that age. But like then at what, at when? And which opinions do you, should you curtain yourself off from? And is it good to actually be challenged in your opinions? That's what it comes back down to too. Yeah, yes. And just because we live in an artist left-wing bubble, is that, like, actually where we want to stay? family. Do we want to stay there? Then, yeah. Um, well, and I often, think you Because I, I used to hitchhike a lot when I was yeah. younger. That was the way I got around from when I was... I jumped on my first freight train when I was... No, actually, my only freight train. I hitchhiked a lot again, but I only did one freight train when I was 15. And I got into hitchhiking, and I did quite a lot of it. Um, and it's very interesting that kind of the question you have that you evaluate, you have to evaluate people in a flash, yeah, whether they're dangerous you to too. you or not. Um, but the amount of times that my evaluations were wrong. And I remember in America being stuck. Um, really? 
because I'd kind of run out of cash for, and uh, it was there was a guy I went over. He was a guy working on his truck in the oh, yeah. car park of a bar in the middle of like the desert somewhere. Shit. And I went over and I asked him and I kind of asked him the time or something, and he and he just looked totally like a guy from Deliverance. <laughs> He was a total redneck looking guy, came out and scared the hell out of me. And then I went back over and I stood on the side of the road and then an hour later he got in his truck and he pulled over next to me and said, so where are you going? And I just had totally, this is like, I'm gonna get murdered. But I had no, I'd run out of money. I had to get back to people I knew. Yeah. And I got in the truck just thinking, I'm, okay, maybe this is it, you know? And then he was the nicest guy ever and he, bought me food and he gave me things and my evaluation of him was totally wrong he may also be a very poor kind of redneck guy who maybe would have voted for trump it would have yeah, been trump yeah. time and if it, you were a different color or a different maybe, gender yes yes may not have picked you exactly up, but you weren't no and in that exchange you got to yeah and he also made him yeah, as well totally. him affect you yeah and, and so did. there's a kind of there's then a communication that goes beyond the set of beliefs that we've inherited yeah. from either yeah. side and there is a way of meeting maybe there's there is a common humanity too you know and maybe there is a place that we can meet that beyond all of those set of beliefs that we've yeah. adopted and yeah and maybe i don't know what it means for sam but maybe it's worth kind of still believing in that putting him out hitchhiking just <laughs> leaving I'm him start on the him young. <laughs> yeah. we're gonna start him young you learn a lot hitchhiking i've been toying with the idea of doing i guess a verbal piece because i would yeah. and i because i have access to a big truck and you would just pick up one performer at a time yeah and the discussion you have would be the performance but of yeah. course you would have a, some kind of theatrical agenda with that discussion yeah. um and i haven't really worked it out Maybe mm. that's something with your hitchhiking you can yeah, let yeah. me in on. But it, it's very clear in the image of my mind that somebody's, a, an audience member is waiting and this big truck pulls up with the stacks and the paintwork and the yeah. lights and you drive down a dark road, which is only 10 minutes out of Darwin, for example, yeah. if I do a Darwin festival, for an hour, two hours, and you have a captive audience member and you can have silence and the light will change and yeah. the temperature will change and then they will come back at you with how you have affected them and so you all you need is that starting seed mm. and then the performance takes the performance becomes an interaction and hopefully they're coming for the um because it's a cool ride in a big truck well also you play with the i mean that's totally playing with the preconceptions of what that means if they're yeah. standing alone on the road yeah. and a big truck pulls up and yeah. they get in yeah you're playing with their sense of fear because yeah. they have a like whether they know they're going on a whatever you know it's down festival yeah they bought a ticket they bought a ticket they do know that but at the same time what their experience is is to make them kind of feel threatened in that Maybe. and that's a challenge for that's kind of that parameter where you're playing with their preconception of what this is yeah. and in their minds because of what they normally yeah. if that was something that happened to them they would totally be freaking out if they so were stuck on the side of the road and the truck picked them up i wonder if it goes the other way if i if or the performer if the performer is the hitchhiker hmm because then you've got the audience who are not paying to go and be entertained and yeah. see the show. I thought that's what you're saying, the performer. I oh, know the performer's a hitchhiker, so the audience member needs to know how to drive a truck. <laughs> so <is> the truck, <laughs> learning how to drive a truck, is that part of the no, experience? No. The, the audience don't choose to be the audience. Yeah. What all they know is that they've chosen to pitch up, pick up a hitchhiker. They haven't bought a ticket. They don't mm. know they're in the frame reference of it. But when you hitchhike, you get in well, with the seed and the agenda yeah. of the conversation you're going to lead with yeah. this driver is going to be for you a considered performance. So where's the audience? The dog box? <laughs> the truck driver. The truck driver's the audience. Yeah. Okay, so they do need to know how to drive a truck. Yeah, but so it's you're not going to get an audience member. Ah, okay. When you are hitchhiking, you've got the whole show. You are the performer. Whatever truck you get into that picks you up, 
they're okay, the audience. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Right. So it's a truck driving audience. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you've got a specific. Well, I do think. I mean, I felt well. like I, that was part of my gig as a yeah. hitchhiker. Totally. You were there. Well, actually, no. I, I you were uh, weirdly. It's a weird role, the hitchhiker. Actually, it's a bizarre role because. I mean, sometimes I did have a number of times where they're obviously uh, gay men. Oh, well, they're repressed homosexuals. They're probably married. They're uh -huh, like, uh -huh. and they've picked, they picked me up because a number of times I was... Uh, uh, propositioned. Propositioned, yeah. Um, and always Tactfully. in a kind of strange way. Oh, like often in a strange, like super ocker kind of guy, like who's just saying, oh, don't worry about it. Should we drive naked? You know, like, oh. <laughs> and then, and then, he's like in a footy singlet and he's just like, he's oh, already yeah, it's just a joke. Naked. It's just a joke, mate. It's just a joke. Don't worry about it. And, you know, last guy I picked up, yeah, it was just for a joke. We got naked and we drove the whole way naked. It's, it was great fun. You want to get naked? And it's just like constantly, you want to take the scenic route? Hey, mate, oh, it's just a joke. And then, you know, reaching across and just like into my lap and then just just a joke but super ocker you know yeah. so it was very and obviously well, poor bastard he's like just he's asking an the, no and he's probably just uh, asking the question like yeah. you go there and yeah. he's so i think there was a that was one like type of experience you can get where um they're obviously trying to suss you out the other one was i mean the most amazing one i had i had three lifts on the way to melbourne once mm -hmm. um from where from adelaide yeah and the first lift, the guy, he was like a druggy guy and he'd just been, his house had been raided by the police and all of his gear and all of his um, money were taken and he was... Was he on the run? To be, I don't think he was on the run, but he was certainly, this had just happened to him and he was kind of, so he was kind of divulging this information, having a little confessional. The next guy was like a, um, probably a guy in his 60s who was on his way to a reunion with all his school friends and his wife who had been his high school sweetheart or whatever had just died so he was about to see all their old friends yeah. and then the last guy was on his way to melbourne because his son who had leukemia was in hospital with pneumonia and probably about to die and each of them were just like, it was like I was a confessional. That's what I, that was my role for them. Mm. And it was super heavy afterwards. I was like, ex I was exhausted and I knew I'd really paid for my ride. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, because you're an anonymous, you have yeah. an anonymity. Yeah. yeah. There's a safety in that. Obviously for both of those cases, um, there's a safety yeah. um, with this person. So you do get this kind of, yeah, you get a role there um, mm. that often plays out. And I, th I find a really fascinating kind of exchange that happens between these strangers. That, but you're in, because you're, you're strangers, but you're in the most intimate, one of the most intimate spaces. Yeah. Even, you're trapped even in, in sound, it's yeah. very close, like you can hear yeah. a whisper. Yeah. And then I had the truck driver who drove from basically Adelaide to Brisbane with me. And he drove, he fell asleep. At the wheel. At the wheel. I was asleep. I woke up. He had one tape. It was Slim Dusty, and he just had it on repeat. So yeah. for two days, I just heard Slim Dusty, like this same tape. Um, and then I woke up in the middle of the night, and he, um, yeah, I asked him where we were. And, oh, what, mate? <laughs> what the fuck? said, you're asleep. And, I, and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, yeah. And he said, oh, it happens all the time. I, what? And he said, yeah, once I... I uh, you know, like on this route, basically, I was I woke up and the truck was bouncing around, and I looked back and the highway's over there. And because he was in the desert, there was nothing to hit, but he was right off the road. Like he was a bit crazy, and it was before they really regulated the yeah, whole yeah. trucking industry. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He was on no dose kind of <clears throat> stuff. Yeah, yeah. he wow. was dropping me off in Brisbane, and I think four hours. He was going to sleep for like four hours, and then he was driving to Melbourne my grandma used to drive Brisbane to Mandubra she'd do the overnight mm -hmm. route so that she'd be there in the morning to send the kids off to school um, and my mum had a story about how the 
Yardies would give her a bottle of Coca-Cola to help keep her awake. Yeah. They didn't tell they'd put like a basically a cough syrup in there with the Coca-Cola and she'd be really like focused and, and not know what's going on. But like do all the books in her head on the way home and stuff, yeah. like all the accounting. High as a cup, but no idea. But no idea. Yeah. Just thinking, like, what is Coca-Cola? Ah, like <laughs> oh, great. So what then let's wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Good, because um, I need to go to the toilet. There's that. There's like that, all those stories you just told us. Yeah. And then there's being in the room. Mm. But they seem so... You think there's a big difference? Yeah, I know. This is a question then. Mm. Is there a difference or is the only difference that you get to then... Sh- like it's being in the room is towards sharing something with other people at mm. the end of it or something. And that... Yeah, I do. and people you know or people you're, yeah. To me, it seems like what part of part of our job is to self-evaluate enough so that we see and are aware of what we're feeding ourselves, mm. because we know that's going to impact and come back out at some point. Yeah. And then, so by hitchhiking or by buying ties to put in the room. Yeah you're doing that thing where you're yeah. evaluating that you're feeding yourself something that's nutritious. Yeah, I think I, I, it's funny thinking back to that time because I know that it was um, uh, like a very conscious choice to be, to be a certain way. It was a curiosity mm. about the world. But also, and it kind of, I mean, I, didn't, I hadn't read Jack Kerouac or anything like that, but I... I like I was in that mindset like as a teenager I felt that comfortable in the world that I could go out and experiment and maybe I felt a bit invincible too at the same time but I really just I was massively curious Mm. and so yeah so and actually I think all those experiences and that and the hitchhiking the hitchhiking was a big one actually for me it really did inform me about the world and you and the idea of the the levels of it you know the kind of you know I went to a you know I went to Scotch College my but I was living with my mother who was a primary school teacher it was my grandparents on my dad's side that paid for the tuition so I was at the same time as going to this really wealthy school where someone you know a classmate would get a convertible BMW for their 16th birthday the same time you know like we were living pretty cheaply and um there were other people in the school also who were like that uh, one of my best friends got she got kicked out of her house and had to take a job at Woolies and rent her own flat in the last couple of years of you know and support herself and saved up and bought a bicycle and that meant much more to her than the BMW mm. that she ended up crashing and then getting another one mm. you know like and I could see all this value of like what was important and I was really questioning. So I was in there in this kind of elite education school um, with all these words, but really evaluating what was important in life. And it made me curious and actually gave me, and maybe because it gave me the courage or certainly the curiosity is courage. And it, so I basically just went out into the world and I, she was the one who was actually dating a guy who worked on the railroad tracks who told me one night um, that there was a freight train to Melbourne and it went left this track at this time and you know and that's when I just went okay and I just turned up and jumped on and it was like that first and it was a, there's a freedom it was a feeling of that the world was just kind of out there to be discovered and that it was infinitely interesting I guess um, and that, I guess, you bring all of that inside. You bring all that information into the room. And then that's like the point that you can just go back out from inside that kind of closed environment. You go back out through everybody that's in the room and all of those histories that they bring into there. Um, and people are also endlessly fascinating. We're weird. Like, we're fucking weird. I love it. Like, we are kind of strange, all yeah. of us. Yeah. And, and the, the trick is being able to 
take care of somebody while they're unraveling themselves in yeah. front of you yeah. because and that's your safety that's, and yeah that's your responsibility yeah. yeah i think i think there's an old school mentality where you just break everyone down and see the pieces yeah but the it it, do, it seems like the lazy way to do it actually and the far yeah. more accomplished way yeah. is to be all pulling at the threads in yeah. a way where you can give them back to somebody before yeah. they go home which is part of them feeling involved in that process themselves mm. and making those choices and not being pushed into yeah. it for your reasons yeah. or which is taking them on board you yeah. know and that we all kind of travel together to a certain degree well kate put it this beautiful way that that there are thoughts about how you just take on a character but her yeah. way of approaching is that everything in the world that anybody can possibly be is also inside her and she has that same potential yeah and so if that's what the scene is calling for it's inside her and she can deliver yeah. it and bring it out yeah and that doesn't make that doesn't that mean and that means that she doesn't have to be scared of it because yeah. it's just another part of her yeah great thanks guys. thanks